Hello everybody, happy Friday. It's Friday lunchtime, you know what time it is. Window watch time. We're uh, myself and Paddy Davitt look at all the latest No City transfer rumours and news and try and uh, cut through the nonsense for you a little bit. Of course, if you have any questions for us across the next 45 minutes or so, then do get them in in the, uh, in the comments box. We'll try and get through as many as we can. Although I think in the last few weeks, it's fair to say, we've been absolutely inundated with uh, questions. So if we might leave ones, if ones have already been answered. And of course, if you are joining us slightly late, which I guess is irrelevant to the people watching now, then you can uh, watch it back on whichever device you happen to be watching on um, at a later point. Pad, um, let's start. I, I guess we kind of spoke it up last week, really. It's been quite a, well, certainly in terms of incomings, it's been a quiet week. That We'll obviously dive into all the specifics and names in a moment, but it, it does feel like things have calmed down to an extent in terms of the, the transfer flurry that we saw a couple of weeks or so ago with obviously Angus Gunn, Milo Rashica and, and uh, Billy Gilmore arriving. It's um, It's been a relatively quiet one in terms of incoming. To be honest, I, I don't know about you, mate. I'm quite glad we've had a week where it's just been a bit calmer because it went a bit turbo, culminating with Gilmore, obviously, uh, who uh, who uh, that felt like that was going on for about 16 years, that, that actual process. But uh, we got there eventually. And uh, yeah, probably inevitable coinciding, of course, with uh, the non-Euro contingent and Daniel and his coaching staff all back at Colney from Monday onwards this week. Um, so maybe the focus slightly tilts a little bit to... The actual the lads are already in the building, but you can be sure Stuart, Kieran Scott, and and those guys they they'll be continuing a pace. Um, and you know it will probably pick up between now and certainly the Liverpool uh, game. I'm I'm pretty sure. Uh, I think there'll be there'll be a few more in before then. Um, but yeah, in terms of the last seven days, it does feel it's more about clearing the decks, if you want to use that phrase. Um, but certainly uh, thinning out the squad. Uh, you know, it, since we convened here last Friday afternoon. Sebastian Soto's move went through. You were on at the weekend, turned that around. You know, the season-long loan with a view to buy uh, to Porto. Um, so, good luck to that lad. Obviously, we've had Akin Famewu, young centre-back. Similar loan with a view to buy, going out to Charlton or back to Charlton, where he was on loan last season. Uh, and, obviously, Josip Dermic, who had 12 months left, and he'll be spending them back in Croatian football at Rijeka, HNK Rijeka. So, essentially, the end of his Norwich career. So, off the back of... The previous week, where Steeperman and Leitner um, both left as well, it just feels a little bit like maybe the housekeeping is about um, outs rather than ins this week, and um, and I think that will probably stay the case from what we're led to believe for the next period, certainly next few days. I don't, not hearing anything is imminent inward. Um, so ultimately, you know, it's probably going to be more about um, thinning the squad out in the short short term, but ultimately. What they're looking to do by doing that is is create a few spaces to to maybe up the quality threshold, which, at the risk of repeating what we've said, ad nauseum all summer. That's ultimately, you know, if you are pinning a, a sort of a mantra on the wall for Norwich City and the Stuart Webber in this window, it's more quality, less quantity, and that's what it boils down to. So these periods we're going through now, these last seven days, are probably more about the, and it's obviously not as glamorous or sexy or as exciting, but all part of the same process, just reconfiguring a squad that is fit for purpose in the Premier League. Absolutely. Before we, we delve into all the names, and, and you mentioned a few there, which we'll, we'll get into. Um, we, we've had a couple of questions already uh, from Peaky NCFC on, on YouTube, which I'll, I'll flash up here. Also, Jack as well on YouTube has asked it um, about whether you, you suspect there'll be another one before the Kings Ling game. Of course, Norwich City's first pre-season game at the Walks next Friday evening, isn't it? Um, do you yeah. expect we'll see any additions to the squad by then. I think obviously there's a, a few people looking particularly at that midfield area and thinking it looks a bit short at the moment. Yeah, although I see did, uh, they put out those training picks and Rupp is is taking a full part. So, you know, he's he's available. You'd thought Gilmore's not with them at the moment, but I'd imagine, um, I don't know 100%, but I would imagine that from the start of next week, he'll be back in the building. Um so in terms of the Kings Lynn game, I'm just thinking central midfield options. A guy who hasn't been named or, or mentioned too often, and it just popped into my head when Josh Martin's loan to MK went through. But of course, Louis Thompson, who was there at yeah. MK last season. Um, now I'm not saying he's he's now going to be the answer to their central midfield uh, quest in the Premier League. But in terms of the here and now, there's a central midfielder who is part of it, you would think. Uh, I've not heard anything to the contrary. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if he's at least in the early part of pre-season, still, still part of Norwich's, um, you know, rota, as it were. But uh, any new ones before Kingsland? Well, 
you know, that is a week away. So it's probably, you don't want to be giving a definitive yes or no at this stage because these things do move very helter-skelter. But um, right here, right now, on this Friday afternoon, no, I, I don't hear of anything that is um, is close to stand by your beds. We're about to press the button. So, um, but as I say, there, there's a, and we'll, 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 well, let's get straight into him. Christopher Iyer, you know, I'm sure we'll be getting into him in, in depth, but that deal or that p- potential deal is something that that process has started from pretty much the end of last season. That's when the initial contact went in with Celtic. We, we've had the fresh line. If you've not checked it out, please go to pinkin.com. It's all there up in the last 24 hours. So the process of getting these deals over the line, you know, the, the, there's a lot of work already gone in. You can be sure. And things can accelerate now. You know, if using that as hypothetical, Celtic do the centre mid central defenders they're getting linked with in terms of that they bring their new players in. And there, there's a realism in terms of the valuation on Aya, which doesn't seem to be the case at the minute from the Celtic end, then that is in our in our understanding something that could happen relatively quickly because a lot of the legwork's already gone in. So, you know, there's a lot of hypotheticals in play here. But right here, right now, on, as we sit here on Friday, this Friday afternoon, no, there's nothing imminent um, ahead of that Kings Lynn game. But it, would I be surprised if there's a new signing in the building by Kings Lynn? No, by the same token, because it's quite clear they are still in the market and intend to bring in centre-back, centre-mid. Um, and increasingly, looks like the, the striker and, and maybe another wide player is is maybe not as prominent, certainly not grabbing as many headlines at the minute, but that is something that's happening in the background. I think they are, and we'll probably get into it in a bit more depth with the Jordan Hugel talk this week, but that's that's two other areas I think they would like to do something. So if they get that type of business done, then it's going to be quite busy, isn't it? Another four or five, potentially. Yeah, absolutely, which which indicates that Norwich City are very active and the nature of a transfer window is that things can move very quickly, sometimes very slowly, and that, uh, that seems, as, as you say, a good a good place to start because it's certainly moving slowly with, with Christopher Ayer. Uh, Keith Shaw simply asks on Facebook, sums this up quite nicely. Uh, he, he just says, what on earth is going on with Ayer? Which I suppose okay. is, is, is a nice way to start because obviously we've seen the, the reports north of the border. Uh, a lot of Norwich City in £12 million a new yeah. bid mentioned in the same sentence. You obviously, yeah. you kind of alluded to it there, the, the story that you put up yesterday about that not being the case. Just give us, as as you understand it, the latest on that situation with Christoph Ayer and why it's maybe not as it as it seems or maybe as it has been reported in the last week or so. Well, as, as we understand it, from, from Norwich's perspective, you know, that hasn't moved on from, I lose track now, it was about, 10, 10 days, no, it's probably longer than that, now, two to three weeks ago when it was Norwich have called their interest. And and that's, from the Norwich angle, pretty much where it's been parked. You know, Norwich haven't made any further bids beyond the one they did at the uh, back end of last month, uh, which was 10 up front plus add-ons. For me, looking at it, uh, I, I'm getting the sense maybe that's where there's a bit of confusion, uh, irrespective to whatever any other agendas are going on there, that this 12 million figure, because I... If you add in the add-ons, then maybe maybe you're getting up to around a 12 million package. But the, but the actual upfront figure was 10. Um, and again, as to repeat what I said earlier, that 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 first contact happened uh, almost before the end of last season um, when they made t- in contact with Celtic. But as it was told to me, I, I don't think Celtic had a well. They obviously didn't have a manager in place at that point or, or a sporting director. I think there's a there's a bit of going on, isn't there, with Peter Lovell as well, the chief exec up there. So so it looked like there was a bit of a you know uncertainty in terms of who's doing what roles there at that stage but it obviously had progressed to the point where Norwich had shown their hand as it were by all accounts that wasn't the figures Celtic were looking to deal with and and now you're seeing 12 you're seeing 15 million I've seen in the last 24 hours that that's the figure they're circulating reportedly to agents Leverkusen have been interested Newcastle have been linked with him if you're Celtic stands to reason you want to get the, the most you can get for that player and and by encouraging an auction, maybe that's how you can do it. But certainly, as it stands, Norwich will not be getting embroiled in an auction, as it was mentioned to me, that they won't be going back with with another 12, 15 million plus add-ons. That's simply not the figures that Norwich attached to a guy who's now in the last 12 months of his contract. So, you know, ultimately, as I said earlier, um, that isn't going to happen unless there's some movement. And of course, Norwich... I'm sure would be willing to discuss around the margins of how these deals get put together and the, the clauses that are attendant in a lot of these deals. But I've got I've got no sense whatsoever that Norwich are suddenly going to say, okay, you want twelve or fifteen up front, 
there's the money. That isn't going to happen. Norwich have got their valuation of that player and there'll have to be a little bit of realism the Celtic end. And if there isn't, then I think Norwich are now, as they have been for the last two weeks, really, looking at other targets. Um, there's a feeling that if they had to go, maybe if there wasn't a value in terms of elsewhere in the centre-back positions, then they would be willing to consider a loan, Premier League loan. Um, they've obviously brought in Gilmore. They've got another one available. Doesn't look like Ollie Skip's going to fit that criteria from the noises coming out of the Tottenham end. So that is an avenue they could utilise if they wanted to go down that route. And the other thing I've heard in, in the last day or two, that <laughs> the man who's come back and absolutely looking uh, top draw already in pre-season is Andrew Omabama Daly. Apparently he's kicked on from where he left off at the back end of last season and um, and and he's really probably grown as well physically as much as anything else over the summer because he is you know only 19 isn't he going on 20 but by all accounts he he is he is already looking like a player who could do a job not from the start I'm say I'm not trying to suggest he would be one of Norwich's two center backs against Liverpool on the opening weekend but certainly a guy who is is he too far away from being involved in the Premier League or could he actually be a bona fide member of that Premier League squad? And the initial noises are that, yes, he could. So if that is the case and Zimmerman's going nowhere and we know Hanley and Gibson are going nowhere, then you've got four centre-backs, haven't you? So if if, if that is the equation, then then do you need a £10 million Christopher Iyer? You know, they, they'd like to do something, yes, but as always with Stuart Webber at the helm, it'll be on Norwich's terms. So they won't be getting led around or down a route where they overpay for Ayer or any other player. So, long-winded answer, but but the answer is, basically, Ayer is where it was two weeks ago, until there's some realism in terms of valuations or some movement from other end, then nothing will happen. Norwich will not be going back in for the figures that are being put about in the media. Yeah, and, and that's I think that's fair to say that the majority of that seems to be coming from Celtic's end, right? So it is, as, as you mentioned there, an, an attempt to create an auction to drive up that price as much as, yeah. as they can. Obviously, Bayer Leverkusen as well have been mentioned uh, amongst a, a host of German clubs, really. Um, Newcastle were, were also mentioned, but that, that interest seems to have cooled significantly um, since we saw that at, at the start of the transfer window. Uh, and, and as you mentioned there, Pat, I guess the crucial element is that one year left on his deal, isn't it? Because if can you really charge a, a club... A, 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 we're not talking about a player, an elite player in terms of top top level English club or, or whatever. Someone who's played a lot in the Champions League, a big club at Celtic, but one year left on his deal. I mean, twelve million, fifteen million, however you want to bracket it, it does seem like a lot of money. And it, as you mentioned, that would put it out of Norwich City's price range. So you've kind of um, done what I was hoping to do anyway, which is broaden it out in terms of if I uh, doesn't progress and if that doesn't happen what are their next options? You, you kind of talked about a Premier League loan there. He's spoken about Andrew Mbamadili. I'll mention in as well that Sebastian Bourne now, who was the, the centre-back that they were interested in from, from Cologne. He looks set yeah. to to move to, to Wolfsburg in the Bundesliga. So that's another one that you can kind of um, cross a line through. What what kind of, uh, and this is purely, I guess, on feeling at this moment, is 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 your feeling that Celtic will eventually come to, to the table and play ball? Is it that they will keep driving that price tag at? Is it that Norwich actually move their attentions elsewhere? How do you see this kind of going? Because as ever, in a move like this, there's always a lot of politics from both sides. Well, I'd say two things, looking at it in terms of the Celtic aspect um, from, from a, a long way away. But uh, one, if they're looking for central def- mid, uh, sorry, central defensive uh, players to come in, and I've seen three names now linked. There's a, they brought in a lad from Sheffield Wednesday, but he might be a bit of a longer-term project. But um, there's the guy at Ruben Kazan. I'm not going to pronounce his name. There's the guy at... Um, oh, my memory's letting me down. Cameron Carter-Vickers, the Chelsea centre-back. I've seen him linked in the last 24 hours in the daily record. Uh, and a Croatian, sorry, under-21 uh, international, who apparently was left out of Hajduk Split's squad last weekend. So, straight away, I'm seeing that. I'm saying, well, OK... If you were keeping Christopher Ayer, why are you actively looking to bring in centre backs? So straight away, I'm thinking, yep, yeah, that's we'll bring ours in before we let him go. Um, and then also, ultimately, that, that the player himself has made it clear he, he sees his future away from Glasgow. Uh, and then finally, is if you're Celtic, you've got a depreciating asset there. Um, if if he was to stay and didn't go in this window, then come January, he's free to sign a pre-contract with, with clubs overseas. And let's be honest. Uh, you know, we often hear about the, the lack of financial clout that there is in the Scottish game in terms of the broadcast revenue comparable to the Premier League. Um, and we're just coming, you know, hopefully through a pandemic and the impact that's had financially on all clubs. I saw a report 
this morning that apparently Man City have, have lost 250 million due to the pandemic. That's what they're pegging Man City's loss at. Norwich, 30 million pound hole. Celtic will have lost tens of millions. There's no doubt about it. Lack of revenue, 60,000 at Parkhead every other weekend, deprived of that for a, you know, a season and a bit. So they're under pressure in terms of this situation because they cannot allow Christoph Iyer, I don't think, to get to a situation where he's still in the building beyond this summer. So if that's the case, you know, you're rolling the dice in terms of hoping that there's, there's sufficient interest elsewhere to be able to play A off against B and against C. Now, if Leverkusen and, and Newcastle, if, if they've decided they're, they're going to look in different areas and Norwich are the only show in town, then, you know, it probably swings back towards, you know, a deal that can be done on Norwich's terms. Because if it's only, Norwich are the only club left willing to pay 10 million plus, then... I think if you're Celtic, you have to do you have to trade, don't you? Because uh, there's absolutely no point if you're Celtic in holding on to a player who could potentially go for nothing. Um, that that simply, if you're Celtic, I, I see no way that could be allowed to happen, given the lack of financial clout you have in the Scottish game and the impact of the pandemic on Celtic's finances. So, uh, I think the longer this plays out, um, then the more chance that Norwich can get this player uh, on the on the financial terms they want to do it, but. And I think that's worth reiterating again. If Norwich are willing to look at loan routes and also potentially go with what they've got, if they feel Amalbamadalia stepped on again since the end of last season, then you know there's a fair degree of relaxation from Norwich. Yes, of course, at the start of the summer, they probably felt they needed to bring in a top, top draw, potentially Premier League grade centre back. But things move on, things evolve, things change. And um, you know, if if that's no longer quite as urgent a, a pressing priority, then uh, if I'm Celtic, I'll be getting a little bit concerned because what they don't want is to, to, to keep steadfast to prices that clubs aren't going to be willing to pay for a guy who is now 11 months out from the end of his contract. That's the nature of it, which is why, you know, Stuart Weber, for example, is always very, very keen to, you know, we see it, you know, the, the, the contract extensions on one level is rewarding players, but it's also insulating your football club, isn't it? That you don't get into these type of situations where highly desirable assets could potentially go for nowhere near their market value. Yeah, and it's it's just worth ending on on I to say has linked up with Celtic, hasn't he? In their in their Wales um, camp and uh, didn't feature in their first preseason friendly, but then neither did anyone who's been involved in in internationals as of yet. I think they play a friendly again tomorrow against Charlton, I want to say, and then one next Wednesday as well. So that might give us a bit more of an indication as to the, the situation. But he's made no secret of his desire to leave the club. And as you mentioned there, the longer it rumbles on, perhaps the more it tilts back towards Norwich. So we'll uh, we'll watch that one with interest. No doubt we'll be speaking about it again this time. Well, maybe not this time next week if, if we've got the pre-season friendly and whatnot, but we'll have to see. Um, another one as well hasn't really evolved in terms of the situation, but we had some quotes from, from new Bournemouth manager Scott Parker this week about Philip Billing. He is a player that Norwich City like. We we understand that he's um, relatively keen as well on, 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 on leaving Bournemouth if an opportunity arose. Some very kind of straight-back, non-committal quotes from Scott Parker, but um, interesting nonetheless. What did, what did you make of his comments in midweek? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was interesting that he, he talked up what a, a great guy he is and he'd love to work with him. But then in the same breath, it was it was kind of almost a, a defeatist, you know, we know there'll be interest from bigger clubs, I think was his phrase. So if you're Norwich, you'll take that all day long. But uh, except for me, an acceptance that maybe, as, as we possibly understand it, the player may have intimated or, or through his advisors that, that, you know, if there's a Premier League opportunity, we'll say hypothetically that he'd be quite open to the idea of that. So, as always with these things, there's three moving parts. There's the buying club, the selling club and the player and his representatives and his family uh, and his close circle. And and if the player is looking to move on uh, and also, again, talking about Celtic and, and finances, I know Bournemouth have some serious backing, but another season in the Championship, uh, I'm sure, was not on the uh, was not on the agenda. Um, and they might have to make some tough financial calls as well about their squad. And um, obviously they'll want to give... Scott Parker some ammunition to go into the market and bring in the type of players he wants to bring. To do that, they might have to to, to sort of re- recycle the squad and bring in revenue to to allow him to do what he wants to do. So, I, I read those quotes as fairly encouraging if you if you're coming at it from a Norwich perspective. But again, uh, from what I've heard, uh, there needs to be a bit of realism in terms of maybe Bournemouth's valuation on that player. I, I don't think Norwich would be looking to pay beyond nine or ten million again for that guy. 
upfront and then whatever clauses you want to insert. Um, and until that's the case, I think his contract status is 2024 off the top of my head. I had a look the other day. So contrasted with Ayer, Bournemouth are in a bit of a stronger position. But, um, you know, for me, Norwich really have the upper hand in both those those potential negotiations. Because if, as in both cases, we're led to believe the player wants out, then, you know, then it then a deal can be made. It's just a, a, a realism between the buying and the selling club. And, and for both reasons, you know, I think both those clubs probably would be would be eventually willing to, to cash in. So um, he's certainly one they like. There's no doubt about it. It was told to me that because ultimately you're thinking, well, central midfield, are we talking the sort of the skip replacement in the six or the eight role? But, um, you know, apparently he, he played most of the last season for Bournemouth in the 10, uh, which is pertinent because, you know, we had this debate, I think, on here last Friday that with Wendy are gone um, and Steepman to a lesser degree, you know, there's a huge emphasis on who plays that link role, that very important link role to, to, to Timmy Pukki, if it is Timmy Pukki. You know, Dowell and Cantwell are the two that spring to mind. Rashita, we were led to believe, can play down the middle. But if you dropped another option like a Philip Billing in there who played in that position, I think off the top of my head, when they came to Cairo towards the back end of last season, he was playing in a sort of more of an a 10 aggressive advanced role. So, You've got a multi-purpose midfielder, which if you're Norwich, and to repeat myself, it's less personnel but higher quality threshold. You've got a player who can play two or three different roles in the in the Premier League. That's a very desirable asset. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of reasons why they'd like to bring him in. Um, but again, not to the extent where they will pay over the odds. That simply isn't going to happen under Stuart Webber this summer. Yeah, it's so very much a case of, of balls in the courts of, of Bournemouth and Celtic. And I'm sure those two will... Will rumble on. Um, in in terms of other incomings, we, we spoke about the the young lad at Ipswich Town who who looks set for a move to Norwich. Um, yeah. Liam Gibbs. Uh, we spoke about him on on our Pinkham podcast, so um, you can you can listen to that for a bit more depth on him. So we'll skip past him. And then the only other link we had at the the top end of the week, and uh, I'm, I haven't practiced my pronunciation of this, so I could go wrong. Uh, Elias Abebu from Hoffenheim, uh, who is. Um, sort of recognised a striker, but played a lot as a winger for, for Hoffenheim. It was, it was a, uh, a lot of people were saying, oh, it's a, a link to a striker. That wasn't necessarily the case. He's, he's played a lot um, out, out on the right, I think, for Hoffenheim, uh, possibly left. Um, an interesting one, but again, not one that, that there was any sort of truth in. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. It, it does lead us on nicely, I think, to the Jordan Hugill, Josip Dermic. I suppose we could probably widen out more broadly to those attacking positions, the the wing options, but but perhaps what people will be more interested in is that striking option. And uh, I think we've probably carried the line, haven't we, all summer really, that that, that wasn't a position necessarily at the top of their priorities unless that yeah. a certain things began to maybe line up that they would then need to do something. We've seen a little bit of movement on that front this week in terms of Nottingham Forest getting linked to to Jordan Hugill and, and there hasn't been any sort of contact but um, I would imagine both parties both Norwich and Jordan Hugill would, would probably be open to, to something if it did pop up from the championship um, Forest would make a lot of sense they've lost Glenn Murray um, Chris Hutton will want an experienced championship striker at the top end of his pit uh, at the top end of the pitch Jordan Hugill fits that profile um, it's going to be interesting to see how it develops but it does change the way we talk about that striker debate doesn't it Pad? Hundred percent, and you know they they have actively looked at Adam Armstrong, who who had a prolific season with Blackburn. Um, uh, it looks by all accounts, maybe Southampton are in pole position. Given Danny Ings has indicated he's not going to sign a new deal, but that you know that that was there three or four weeks ago. So straight away, you know that did raise an eyebrow or two. Um, why would they need a, a front line, very probably expensively acquired striker when you've got? Mr. Pookie and Hugo and Adamida, but clearly, if if they're willing to entertain the idea of Hugo moving on, and and the lad himself wants regular game time, that that's kind of I think where this is um, in terms of that dynamic. Not as you rightly say, not in terms of Forest necessarily, but certainly a Championship level opportunity. I think that I think that will happen uh, personally. And if that did happen, then you're basically going into the Premier League season with Timu 
who, let's be honest, there still has to be some fitness concerns around him, given you know what he had to endure going through to make the Euros, that ankle problem, and he, he didn't look himself at the Euros by his own admission. And you've got him and Adamida, completely unproven himself, who had a very stop-start season last season. So there's no no doubt about it. Dermich, obviously, to, to more of a housekeeping sense, because he wasn't going to play anyway in terms of Norwich's Premier League. But senior strikers, you cannot go into the Premier League with two. I mean, that's, that's just not going to happen. So I, I think it's safe to assume they are now willing to bring in another forward. And and part of that is the equation that possibly Jordan Hugel is going to move on. I mean, we got the sense, you're right, at the start of the summer, it was pretty clear that the, the centre-back, centre-mid, a, a wide player who can play down the middle, i.e. Rashica, that they were the priority areas. And obviously the keeper situation, that needed to resolve itself, which it has done. No no Nyland, but Angus Gunn coming in. Um, but also it was pretty clear to me at the start of the summer that if there is interest in Hugel, Hernandez, Wajeta, then if it makes sense from the club's point of view in terms of the financials around that, they wouldn't be averse to making those deals happen. And if that is the case, then by definition, what you've been told there is that they're, they're willing maybe to look at those areas as well in terms of their own recruitment. And and I think that increasingly, to me now, increasingly looks to be the case that while inevitably we've spent... what how long, 20 minutes talking about a centre-back and a centre-midfielder, and that's kind of dominated most of Norwich's business, certainly post-Gilmore. Um, but I think increasingly, they're also now looking to do something forward-wise and another wide player. Because if you if you look at the basic numbers, that I know they're trying to thin out the squad, but you've lost Wendy, you've lost uh, Marco Steeperman. Um, you, you brought in one, but you probably need another wide player if you feel maybe Onel and Puerta aren't going to be part of it or a leading part of it. So uh, for me at the minute, it feels like those four areas now, um, centre-back, centre-mid, forward, wide player. And if that is the case, it's understandable why that Hoffenheim lad was thrown in, although we don't think there was anything in that in terms of currently anyway. But uh, yeah, if you're asking me by the end of the window, do I expect Jordan Hugel to be here? No, I don't think he is. I don't think he is. I think um, for, for all those reasons stated, if he wants to, quite rightly, go and play football now, play regular football, feel a part of it, uh, then you can understand that. And um, from Norwich's point of view, it's quite clear he wouldn't dislodge Timu, uh, Adam either. They expect big things of. So let him go, re- hopefully recoup the money they, they paid from in the first place and then use that to, to bring in a, another forward who more fits the profile maybe of what Daniel and Stuart are looking for in terms of a Premier League forward. Yeah, he's 29 as well, isn't he, Jordan? So he's, he's probably at that stage now where he does need to to look for perhaps something that isn't going to be playing second fiddle, fiddle to Timu Buki. But it's going to be a really interesting one to see how they resolve that because obviously two years ago they, they went down the free transfer route and it's it, if Timu Buki's fit and, and, well, if he's fit, basically he starts, doesn't he, under Daniel Farker? So then how do you try and recruit someone Certainly, with with the objective of initially not going in to be in to to be the the starting striker, that becomes a very difficult dynamic. Um, and obviously, you mentioned the the wing as well. I did see we had a question about that from Joe Keeler in terms of uh, it, well, he he simply asked, "Hey guys, um, do they want another winger?" Question marks over whether Hernandez and Placetta are good enough for the Premier League. And uh, as you've mapped out there, that it, the indication seems to be that they do. Um, just a, a couple of other lines you mentioned. Um, Akin Fumewu at the top, he's joined Charlton, hasn't he, on a season-long loan, but interestingly, this time with an option to buy. Um, you wrote a piece on that this morning. You just talked to us a little bit about maybe why Norwich have, have reached that decision because there was a stage where he was really highly thought of. We saw him included in some Premier League squads, for example. He yeah. um, came on against Manchester City, didn't he? He's a player that Daniel Farker really likes. So what has happened, uh, and I guess there's an obvious answer to this really, that's maybe seen him forced out of the door a little bit. Well, timing is everything. That was the essence of that piece I wrote. And um, you're right, he he made the bench a couple of times in the Premier League, didn't quite get on. Uh, quite understandably, huge leap to go from development level as he was playing to Premier League. Um, and then the, the dial turned and, and he's, he's finding himself out on loan at St Mirren. I think he had a few injury issues along the way, both at St Mirren. I think that was curtailed because of the pandemic, but also I recall there was an injury as well uh, putting doubt whether he'd be available at the back end of that Premier League season, but he actually did, as you say rightly, made his one and only appearance at Man City that final day hammering. Uh, but even then at Charlton last season, I, I 
think I can tell you exactly what, but there, there was injury issues. So whether that's flown into the equation, but ultimately, as you rightly say, I think the biggest part of that jigsaw is the emergence of uh, another young, three years younger, to, to be to be honest, uh, central defensive option at Norwich's academy, and that's Andrew Omabama Daly, who, as I say, was sold this week. He absolutely looks an unbelievable Nick already uh, in the first few days of pre-season. So, and, and what we saw from him in that 10-game burst at the back end of last season, the maturity, the composure. Yes, it wasn't the leap into a Premier League scenario that for Maywell would have been faced with that time, but there was still a lot of pressure at that stage of the season. You know, um, no, no Gibson, no Zimmerman. Yes, Norwich were in a very healthy position when he when he got got put in at Preston on Good Friday, was it? Uh, Easter Monday, Good Friday. But um, but it was still a huge question mark against him. And um, boy, oh boy, did he did he answer every question put in front of him uh, to the extent where, as I say, I feel I think they now feel he's a justifiable Premier League grade option for the squad. And uh, and if they feel they've got one of those young types that close to Daniel's first team plans then sadly it's the brutal nature of the development sort of cycle that uh, Atkins time has come and gone really and um, you you hope because obviously I think Charlton just missed out in terms of the playoff picture last season on goal difference under Nigel Atkins and some very experienced manager who knows what it takes to get promotion they are and have been a Premier League staple in times gone by not that too distant there's been a huge amount of upheaval with the ownership there hasn't there in recent times I think that looks like it's settled down. You'd fully expect Charlton to be really in the mix for, for League One promotion. And if he plays a leading part, then good luck to him. That deal gets made into a permanent and he's in 12 months' time, maybe a championship player. So from his point of view, it makes perfect sense. And I think from Norwich's point of view as well, because of the emergence of, of young Mbama Daly. And of course, if they were to bring in another centre-back, where would that leave Akin even further down the pecking order? He's, he's, he's outgrown development football, so... I think that's that's a that's a win win for all parties in my my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And and then the final one is uh, another sort of youth player, if, if you like. Rob Nizet looks set to return to Belgium, doesn't he? Um, that that's the, the the final one in terms of the solid outgoings. Anyway, so let's move on to some of your questions. We'll start with uh, Tom on Facebook, who has said, "Hi guys, if we sold Hugh Gill, uh, would we get a player like him, but an upgrade or a player who can play on the shoulder?" more and has pace this is kind of what I was framing it's difficult isn't it because Norwich City are essentially recruiting a, a second choice striker which becomes incredibly difficult doesn't it I think if you're trying to sell that to a player it is but but then are they because it you know nobody can dispute Timu Puki prolific at championship level he's proved that beyond doubt now but Started like a house on fire in the Premier League as well and it isn't just about Timu Puki in isolation it's about you know a team who are providing him with the service and the chances that he needs to, to show what he's about. But I think there still are one or two question marks about him in terms of Premier League. Uh, and more so, for me, the workload that man has had for club and country now over the last few years is absolutely ridiculous. Daniel always throws out the no striker in Western Europe has probably played more for their club and country than that man. And I think you wouldn't dispute that. So if that is the case... There's a lot of miles gone on the clock there. He's coming off the back of, as I say, you know, a, a Euros where, you know, OK, physically he might have been able to get out there and play, but it wasn't the team of Puki anybody would associate in a Norwich shirt. You know, that razor sharpness, um, which you need at that level, and you also need it in the Premier League. So, irrespective of the Hoogles situation, if you're looking at it and you're thinking, well, you've got a, an, a very unproven talent in Adam Eder, and you've also got a player in Timu who's played a lot of football, the second part of this Premier League season, the first time round, was disrupted by injury. That foot problem, he did it at Leicester and he never looked the same player again, albeit the team in general, their form was going down, which wouldn't have helped him either. But I think you have to look at it and feel, well, what if for any length of time you were without team in the top flight this season as well, which is not beyond the realms of possibility. So if that is the case, can you put so much emphasis on Adam Eder? I don't think you can. So it is an interesting one because you're right. If Timmy Puki was fit and firing, Daniel Farker is is literally uh, is the chairman uh, and the <laughs> of his fan club. You know he, he will play him. There's no two ways about it because he loves the player and loves what he's done for him. But if he isn't available for any length of time, you need to you need to cover yourself. And you could say the same about central defence. Why are they actively looking for a ten million type of centre back when you've got you've just brought Gibson in on on a permanent? You've got Hanley coming off the back of it, his best season in Norwich colours. <coughs> Excuse me. You've got a young player in Obamaba Daly who looks to be making strides by the week. 
do you need to spend 10 on a centre-back? But it's all about competition, isn't it? And raising the quality threshold. And if that is the case, and let's be honest, you know, Timmy Puki, he shouldn't carry the same burden he did two seasons ago that all the goals is on his shoulders. There needs to be a far more equitable share around of the goals. And, and if that is the case, bringing in an, a, an actual forward who's able to hit the ground running in the Premier League, that's going to ease a bit of the burden on Timu, isn't it? So, you know, increasingly I'm starting to see why they might be willing to spend quite a few quid on, on a forward. Whereas at the start of summer, you thought, well, listing their priorities, they didn't need or probably had the money to be able to do that. But now as we move through, and as I say, the evolving situation around what they might do centre-back-wise, you know, if you've earmarked 10 million for Aya and then you go and bring in a centre-back from a Premier League loan route, then that's 10 million that can be redirected elsewhere, isn't there? So that's, that's I think, how they're probably looking at it, that they have this pot of money, they have the targets they want and the positions they want. And within that, they're going to be, you know, very flexible and reactive to the situation as it evolves throughout the summer, as we get nearer the, the start of the season and then into the season, because obviously the window overhangs the, the start of the Premier League season. So it might even be a case, you know, they get to the first two or three games, then see maybe have a better idea, you know, in terms of Timu and his fitness and his threat at Premier League level and, and go from there. So, yeah, I think... As I say, Hugo out, and if Hugo goes, they will bring in a forward. It's simple as that to me because you cannot go into the Premier League season with just Ida and, and Timu Puki, can you? No, you can't. And that just goes to show how situations evolve, doesn't it? Over, well, a, a matter of weeks, really. Um, it's just a few weeks ago, as you said there, that certainly the noises were that, that a striker wasn't on their sort of high up on their list of priorities. Whereas mm-hmm. now, like you say, maybe it has shifted for various reasons. Um, Neil Luther has said any news on Daniel Farker's contract? I think we've been asked this probably in every everyone that we've done um it's still progressing isn't it pad as far as we're aware it, it remains on course yep. to, to be signed before the opening game against liverpool so um yep. no need to fear over daniel farker's contract uh, a question from uh, i'm the dude dude which is an excellent name uh, how many names do you how many players sorry do you think uh, norwich will sign three to five etc uh we'll, we'll i'll probably change this a little bit and maybe say how many more players do you, do you expect to sign but we've kind of mapped that out already pad and the positions that maybe they're looking to strengthen well I'd, I'd say that's a good spread three to five from here yeah obviously with and i'm seeing a few questions flying in about max max aaron's situation um so as it stands i think they'd like to do maybe another three minimum but if if max was to depart then then it changes again doesn't it because they'd need to go and do a right back there's no two ways about it um and in terms of Max, we've seen him. He's, he's back at Colney. He's in the mix. He's part of it. He's an Norwich player at the minute. Um, and that ha- there hasn't been anything tangible uh, this summer, as, as we're led to believe, in, in regard of that man moving on. And uh, that's encouraging because, you know, I surely felt before the, the window opened by this stage of the summer, we might have had an Emmy Buendia type situation on our hands. But... For whatever reason, that hasn't materialised yet. That isn't to say, because I mean, I'm looking down at my calendar. It's the 9th of July. The window's open until the end of August. Um, we're probably only about not even halfway through the transfer window. So things will pick up now as the Euros come to a conclusion um, and we get into the actual club cycle pre-season and then the start of the season. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be hoping, or well, I wouldn't be at this stage thinking, right, that's it. There's been no speculation around Max. He's going to be a Norwich player for the rest of this coming Premier League season. I still think there's uh, more than a, a chance that he'll, he'll he'll leave, but it'll only be for Buendia scale finances. And again, you know, cut, current, current throughout all the things that are happening in the transfer window for me is is the is the pandemic impact and and what that is doing to potential transfers you know obviously united have done a ridiculous amount of money on jaden sancho so as stewart said to us at the, the end of the, the season the top clubs will still find the money and it will take a top club to prize max out of norwich city so i think there are clubs who would be able to meet the valuation norwich have but when you're dealing with deals of that nature these things tend to drag on and on a little bit so yeah i think we can expect increasingly now there'll be more speculation around Max's future but right here right now it's as you were as you were at the start of the summer end of last season Max Aarons is a Norwich player there's been no anything approaching sort of Buendia levels of firm interest so you know for for all our sakes let's hope that continues Um, because one thing you know with Max Aarons he showed it last season his attitude will be spot on professional to the nth degree and and if nothing is materialising in terms of potential moves 
he will be as good as gold. He'll get his head down and um, and he will show what he's all about in the Premier League for Norwich. I've no doubt about that. Yeah, and, and uh, you mentioned there the, the transfer window overhanging this, the new season, a couple of good performances in the Premier League and you never know what, what will happen yeah. and, and maybe who will pick up the phone. And uh, Barcelona and Roma, of course, uh, the two clubs that have picked up in, in the last two transfer windows. So that would indicate there will be something at some point. It's just whether that um, financially meets Norwich's demands and whether it suits Max uh, Max as well. It's going to be interesting. He's obviously arrived at Colney sporting a new haircut pad. You've, you've not considered that one yet? Uh, I did actually, uh, but only not by accident, by, rather than design. I went in uh, post when we was allowed to go in. I said I wanted a trim, came out looking more than a trim. But what can you do when the hair's around your feet in the uh, barber's chair? You can't do a lot, can you, mate? So, no, no I'm, I'm far too. For, that's more of a young man's haircut, Connor. I'd expect you. I expect you'll be sporting that by the time we get to Liverpool, mate. Yeah, absolutely. No, I don't think my hair's changed for about 10 years, to be honest. I'm quite unadventurous with my haircuts. Um, anyway, uh, Liam Winhall has, uh, I guess he's kind of throwing out names out there. He mentioned the, the potential loan route for, for centre-backs. Uh, Mark Gahey, who, of course, was at Swansea last season. Chelsea player as well. So we, yeah. we go back to that kind of Farker and, and Tuchel relationship that's obviously brought Billy Gilmore to the club. Is is that one that you could see as viable? I mean, he's, he's relatively small, isn't he, for a centre-back? But certainly on the ball, was very good for Swansea yeah. last season. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, He's, he's an athlete, though, as well. Funnily enough, yeah. I've seen Palace, Palace have been linked with him this morning. So, um, you know, depends what Chelsea's plans are for him. You know, I, clearly, I don't think he's going to uh, he's going to be threatening Chelsea's first team. Um, he's had a championship loan, so it's not beyond the realms that Chelsea would now want to move him up a degree in terms of if it's a loan and, and go for Premier League. And uh, But I don't know. I, I, it, with that type of signing, you know, you'd fear, and I'm, I'm not saying for one minute that, that there's been a, a firm commitment from Norwich, but but like a Gilmore, for example, I'm sure that there's an expectation that they will play serious amounts of minutes. Otherwise, why are you, if you're, a, if you're a Chelsea, what is the value in letting Norwich take Billy Gilmore and then just giving him a series of cameos off the bench? So, you know, whether it's a sort of an understanding or whether it's actually written in, that's probably going to be the case with Gilmore. And that would be the case with with that man as well, I'm sure. And, and if that is the case, I'm not sure Norwich could make that commitment for a, a Premier League centre-back, um, given it's probably going to be Gibson and Hanley, if Hanley's and Gibson, for that matter, are both fit and firing for Liverpool. So, But yeah, no, it's a good shout, Chelsea. Um, we know how tight he is with Guardiola. I don't know, I've not had a look at Man City, but I'm sure they've got a few uh, young... Uh, highly rated centre-backs in the mix as well. Um, maybe send Diaz our way. That'd be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> wouldn't be bad at all, would it? Yeah, he'd, he'd fit in nicely. Although if he could get in there... Uh... <laughs> Ahead of Grant Hanley, which um, which would yeah, be a good, yeah. good, good little battle. Yeah, uh, let's see what else we've got here. This is an interesting one. Um, I think someone tweeted um, us yesterday and asked us this actually that Joe Keeler has asked, How come Norwich weren't in for Elise? Only cost Palace eight million pounds from Reading. He's 19, did very well, didn't he, at Reading in the championship last season? Caught a lot of people's eyes. Uh, there's this release clause that. Um, even Reading fans that I spoke to weren't totally sure if it actually existed or not. And uh, Pornovich, the manager, didn't really seem to know either. Palace apparently knew and have uh, activated it. Eight million pounds. Uh, he's he's now Crystal Palace player. What is it about that sort of deal that maybe has seen Norwich City avoid it? I suppose is is Joe's probably question. Well, I mean, if that if what you've just said there about even Reading's coach didn't know there was a clause, then how did Palace know there's a clause? Well, seems- he might have been maybe preventing other people from knowing about the clause. Yeah. That's probably a better way to describe it, isn't it? But if that is the case, and there was a little bit of um, uh, sort of smoke and mirrors around his contractual status, the fact that Palace have known about that tells me that there, you know, there was some, there was some, uh, should we say, back-channel negotiations going on. And if that is the case, then I'm not saying for one minute he was a player who was, who was high on Norwich's radar. But if, it, if he had been... Sounds like Palace has stolen a march anyway. So so it, it's I don't think it's a case of why why we're not Norwich in for that type of player, because of course they'd have been aware of him. They saw him at close quarters last season. I remember Daniel Farker after the running game towards the end of the season where they were he was good. Um Ajaria was very good that day at Car Road, and obviously Norwich romped away with it in the second half. But you know, Daniel saying before and after the game, what an excellent group of young players they had at Reading. So there's no there's no two ways, two ways about it. They'd have been well aware of the guy, but it sounds to me, reading between the lines, that Palace uh, had done the legwork and were, you know, very quick off the marks. Uh, so I don't think it was a case that Norwich have missed out. Probably an acceptance that, you know, they, they didn't really stand much of a chance if he was a player. And, and I'm not sure he would have been given. They've, they've done the business they did for Rashid. So I think uh, 
don't think he was one they were, were actively looking at, albeit they don't know fully how good he was. But he's potential. You know, he, he is. He's a very talented player, but a very young player. Um, and of course, you know, is that because we're saying Zaha might be out the door and, and they're doing their business in advance? You know, it, it wouldn't be beyond the realms. There's been a lot of talk about him every window, seemingly, the last two or three summers. Uh, last 10 be, summers, isn't it? Well, maybe longer than that, yeah. So, but, so could this be the window he goes? And if he does... A little bit like the Celtic and Ajax situation. Palace have already got their got their blow in first and, and brought this lad in. And uh, and if that is the case, you know, be interested to see how he adapts. Uh, who was the guy they got out of QPR? Uh, Eze. Eze, yeah. He's, I mean, he's an excellent player as well. Um, so, you know, Palace seem to know how to source a very decent, highly rated young wide player. So I'll be interested to see how he adapts, actually. Yeah, because there's no doubt the talent is is there. Just very quickly on, on this before we, we move on to other questions. We've got heaps to get through, um, 15 minutes to get through them. So we're, we're probably not going to get through them all. But to, does this show maybe how Norwich have moved on in terms of their recruitment? Palace are signing a 19-year-old who's not played in the Premier League. You said they're unproven, that word. Stuart Weber, in, in his sort of, when he was speaking to us earlier this summer, spoke about kind of getting those oven-ready players, to coin that yeah. phrase, um, that could step on to a Premier League stage and immediately make an impact. We've seen a lot of the links so far be fairly domestic. When, when we talk about uh, Christopher Ayer, of course, at, at Celtic, which is Scotland, not not completely domestic, but in the in the United Kingdom and, and Philip Billing being perhaps two of the major targets this summer, both playing in, well, in on this island, essentially. Is that maybe a reason why also Norwich probably wouldn't have looked at Elise or his sort of profile of player because of where they've come in, in the last couple of seasons or so? I think it comes down to finances, Connor. I mean, and ultimately... If I mean it's only being reported, so we'll, we'll take that with a pinch of salt. But if it is eight million um, on a, a teenager, twenty-year-old um, who hasn't really done anything at the top top level, I think where Norwich are in their cycle, they, they can't afford eight million on on a player of, of that profile. That they need a little bit more certainty. And of course, you could say, well, you know, Rashida has never set foot in England, um, bar the odd game for his country and his club in European competition. But so there's an element of gamble there. But then you know he's albeit he, he had a poor season by his standards last season in the Bundesliga. But prior to that, he looked a very, very useful operator in, a, in one of the top leagues in Europe. So I think there's a body of work there that, that would probably reassure Norwich that the outlay they've done um, represents good value uh, and also that he can produce in the here and now. Whereas with an Elise, you know, there's no guarantee, is there? And, and I've painted that scenario there that Zaha could move on. But if Zaha doesn't move on, then you can almost allow that lad to adapt in his own time and bring him in and bring him out um, behind Eze and, and, and Zaha. You know, Palace may be in a situation because of the sustained Premier League uh, access to the revenue that they've had, you know, the amount of years they've stayed in the top flight, that they can do that type of recruitment. Um, although it's going to be very interesting how they get on with Vieira. I'm not sure that's going to, that could go one or two ways, couldn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but for Norwich, I just think at those levels, Yes, for the guy, potentially what he could go on to be. Eight million looks in this market where we are now. That looks probably not too bad. But I just think, given Norwich have a finite amount of resource uh, and they've done the Rashica deal, I, I don't think that, that they could really spend that type of money on the type of profile that Elise is. Yeah, and they've also got Todd Campbell, haven't they, in a similar position, a couple of years older as well. So there's there's a pathway point and maybe having too many of a, a similar type of players. So um so yeah, lots of lots of of elements to maybe why Norwich didn't didn't do that deal um, uh, if they would have been aware of it at all. Uh, interesting one from Mark, not specifically about transfers, so we'll, we'll we'll go over it quickly. But I guess there's a a couple of players in here that we can um, maybe offer something on. Uh, any news on last season's injuries to Timu Puki, who obviously we saw at the Euros, which would imply now that he's certainly on holiday, but hopefully um, recovering and, and he's going to be in a good enough state to start that opening Premier League game against Liverpool. Uh, ben Gibson, McLean and Byram. Obviously, we had the, the line last weekend, didn't we, from Kenny McLean saying, not that there'd been a setback, but maybe there hadn't been any progression in terms of his recovery and um, his return to training has been pushed back a little bit. So that, that's a tighter deadline between him returning and that Liverpool game, which maybe now would make it seem unlikely that he would be involved in that. Um, ben Gibson and, and, and Sam Byram, though, Pad, I'll throw those two your way. Um, any sort of updates or developments in terms of those two? Yeah, yeah, I spoke, spoke to the club on, on those two in the last couple of days, actually. And um, 
take Gibson first yet. They hope uh, towards the back end of, of pre-season he will be uh, fully available. Um, anybody who's followed his social media has been doing a lot of personal training work. I think he took one of the Norwich sports science slash physios with him on holiday, didn't he? I saw him uh, saw him out there. That's not a bad gig. If you're one of, one of the Norwich employees, getting a bit sun on your back as well as rehabbing Ben Gibson. But uh, was led to believe that we probably won't see him in any of the early pre-season stuff. But, but the expectation is that he would be available for, for the, the Liverpool selection. Um, as we hope, Hanley, who isn't on that on that list, but by all accounts, that was it. Hamstring would be Grant. I think it was, yeah. wasn't it? That um, it isn't the hamstring he had surgery on before, and it isn't the, the type of strain that uh, that would 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 concern Norwich and Julie in terms of his availability for Liverpool. So, yeah, positive on Gibson. Byram, uh, he's basically the next sort of week, ten days is when he will let actually try and be reintegrated back into full team training. I, I still think they're. They're obviously a bit erring on the side of caution. You know, there's a guy who Liverpool we're talking about. That was his last appearance for Norwich, uh, and that was March of the previous year. Um, and that was a hamstring, and then he had all sorts of complications and had to have follow-up surgery. Uh, but there is an optimism amongst City's physio department and sports science, from what I'm led to believe, that he will be able to handle the load when he's reintegrated fully back into team training. And, of course, if he comes through that uh, over the next sort of week, two weeks, possibly you would start to see him. I think, for me, they've got the two behind closed doors games um, in about 10 days' time or so. They've got Lincoln and Huddersfield. Subject to him coming through the, this next period in terms of training and having no adverse reaction to, to obviously stepping up the low because it's a different scenario entirely to, to doing re- rehab and individual work to actually fully you know, going into a team training environment um, on the grass. Um, but if he comes through that without any issues, then I think... It's reasonable to expect we might we might see him in one of those two games and and he he is key he is key because you know you've got as it stands Max Aaron's on the right you've got Yunulis on the left okay Matt you could say Barley Mumbers in the mix I don't think Sam McCallum will be because I think they'll look to get him on back out on loan so you're going to need Sam Byram fit and available because um, you know irrespective of whether Max stays or not Sam Byram is going to probably be needed. Uh, because it's unrealistic to think you, you get through a season without sort of disruption, either injury or suspension to your, cent- your fullback areas. Um, so, yeah, it, that that's an intriguing one for me. We're talking about the recruitment and the priorities. You know, heaven forbid there is a setback, but if there was with Sam Byram over the next sort of week, 10 days, then you might need to, to sort of have a look again in, in terms of irrespective of the Max Aaron situation and his future, you might have to have a look again in that area um, because I'd, you know, with the greatest respect, you know, you can't you can't probably put too much pressure on Barley Mumber at the minute to step up and be a, a viable frontline Premier League option. So, yeah, probably safe to say with Sam next week to 10 days will, will tell us a lot about is he going to be a big part of Norwich's Premier League season, I think. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be really interesting to, to see how that develops and, and that situation. Obviously, we hope that, that Sam can make a full recovery because it's been a difficult year and a half really for him, hasn't it, since he, yeah. he limped out of that, that game against Liverpool and some some really good individual performances in, in Norwich City's uh, Premier League campaign two seasons ago. So hopefully he can return to the level he was at. Uh, interesting question from Tom. Uh, there's a couple of questions that we're getting asked quite a lot. So we'll come to those um, after this one. But this is quite... Uh, when, when, are you quite... Getting your head, when are you getting your crew cut, Connor? Is that one of them? <laughs> Yeah, soon. I promise. Definitely soon. Uh, we're getting to that stage now. Uh, Tom said, uh, have any players from the Euros caught your eye, especially those that Norwich could afford? I I wrote a piece on this. Um, I put five together. I'm just going to then... kick that over to you, mate. T- t- tell, yeah. them about, uh, tell them about the Stephen Zubar uh, speculation, mate. Tell them that story. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I fear that uh, I may have accidentally no created that. There's no fear. I, That's I did, I did, yeah, I did, I, that was probably down to me. So I, I wrote something about potentially five players that, um, and again, not without the extensive data that the Norwich City recruitment team do. And of course, we we bow down to their their knowledge on players, um, just five players that I've kind of liked the look of and that have interested me in the Euro. Steven Zubar was one of those. And obviously, of course, they had to be in Norwich's remit. I took one look at Mikael Damsgaard, at, who scored that free kick for Denmark the other night and saw 40 million in Leeds and said, yeah, that's that's not that's not viable then. So these these were players that were supposedly in the financial sphere that Norwich could operate in but also have, have been fairly decent um, he is one of those although he's, he's sort of 29-30 so again we can probably hark back to the debate we had last week about 
what you get for that. I think you, I don't know if he still has, but there was one stage of the tournament that he had um, the most assists. I think he got a hat trick of assists in one game, which always helps. But has been fairly good to to be honest. Um, at, at the Euros, Germany, obviously a, a market that Norwich City knew know well. So wrote this all in the piece, all good. That went up, and then uh, about a week or so later, uh, we get an article from a, was it a Swiss organization. Yeah, I was yeah. I was off the day this all kicked off, so um, I missed it a little bit. But uh, yeah, Swiss organization who had cited the article, which then some other people took and ran with. Um, but yeah, so, so safe to say he's not a player that Norwich City are looking at. There are four others in there that um, you can probably find if you if you go to people. Connor, this is the power. You you, your pen is mightier than the sword, mate. It is absolutely. There you go. But there you go. You can cross the line through Stephen Zubar if uh, if anyone was asking about that. Lots of questions about Todd Campwell and his situation. Again, um, some people asking about whether he'll run down his contract. Uh, Cameron Downs on on YouTube just says Todd Campwell contract question mark. Uh, Simon Todd needs to get his contract. Lee, any news on? Um, if Campwell's going to sign a new contract. So this has dominated quite a few of the questions that have come in in the last 10 minutes or so, Pat. So I'll throw this one over to you. We've kind of mapped out his situation in depth, I think, in terms of it's a big summer and it's kind of a crossroads, isn't it? Because one year left officially, but Norwich have that that club option that they can activate to extend it for a year. Um, and then obviously we get into the into the nuts and bolts of what that would entail and the value decreasing, all the stuff we've spoken about before. Where do you feel at the moment we're at with Todd Campwell's contract? Because it feels like at the moment there's probably quite a bit of patience on both sides around this particular sort of situation. Yeah, well, I mean, the main man, uh, Mr Weber, started the summer. He said, basically, what happens to Todd in terms of the market will dictate what happens with the contract. The two are interlinked. You know, if he if he didn't go in this window, um, and I've seen one or two bits of speculation, but again, like Max, nothing tangible has, has landed at Norwich's door, as far as we're aware. Um, then the contract situation is irrelevant. But if he was to still stay here, then uh, then you've got, as you say, 2023 de, de facto with, with the option, which I'm sure they would take up. Um, then it, the clock starts to tick. And, and one thing you can guarantee is City will not get into a Christopher Iyer situation with Todd Cantwell. Absolutely not. Not with Stuart Webber uh, at the helm. And uh, and so it'll either, there'll either be a new deal or... You know, we, we could get to either the January window or more likely maybe the, this time next summer where he'd only have 12 months left. Um, and irrespective of where Norwich are in terms of the status of their league position, you know, if, if Todd Cantwell, hypothetically, this time next summer, hadn't signed a new deal uh, and is approaching the final 12 months, there is no way Norwich would allow that situation to, to get to a point where he goes for nothing, essentially, or, or compensation. So it isn't, it isn't, 100% pressing is it ultimately because you've, you've still got two seasons left to go from what I can gather I think they still they, they see him as part of the Premier League plans this season so they're, they're not actively looking to, to to offload him in this window but they I think they maybe now in a post-Wendia world his value increases as well like you said earlier you know he can play a wider position in those three behind the striker but he can also play down the middle and in fact when he came through the academy that was probably where you thought he would end up in that 10 role um, we've seen glimpses of it at senior level, and I've got no doubt he could, he could play that role. Very, very, very technically gifted uh, young footballer. So I wouldn't panic necessarily at the minute from a Norwich fan regarding Todd Cantwell. I think he'll still be here unless you know there is a club who come and put down the money that Norwich want for that player. Same as Max Aaron's, or Max Aaron, sorry, in that situation. But I, at this stage, I think they're planning with him as part of the Premier League season, and if that is the case. You can be pretty sure maybe when we get this window out of the way, uh, a new contract for Todd Cantwell will be fairly high up Stuart Webber's list. And just finally on that, Stuart did say, you know, that he wasn't unduly concerned in terms of Todd because Todd, you know, he's, he is a, a lad from his neck of the woods. We know what Norwich City means to him and to his family, um, as opposed to maybe a player who doesn't have those roots and, and isn't part of the community and hasn't come from the same fan base uh, who follow him. So I think Stuart Webb was fairly relaxed at the start of the summer that, that you know that, that if the scenario is that it's a new contract that needs to be put on the table, that there would be a there would be a broad agreement from all parties that there could be a solution reached. So yeah, I, I would be I would, at this stage that's pretty low down the priority list. I think if you're Stuart Webb, I think it's about adding to the current squad and they feel Todd Cantwell is part of that mix that they want to add to. So you know, but. It is, it's, it's a bit like with Stuart's own contract situation. These things will continue to get talked about because 
you know, if you're Norwich and you, you, you set yourself up as a self-funding club, then one of the pillars is player trading. And, and if that's the case, one of your better players and one of your highest value players, you simply cannot allow him to go for a song, basically. So, you know, it, at the minute, this window, not a major issue, would become a major issue as we progress forward, no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, lots of people pointing out surrounding our Mark Gahey chat that uh, you can only have one player on loan from from one club at one time. So that is right. So that would uh, that would shut that down um, pretty pretty quickly. Uh, he, think, he's not coming well, to he's not coming to Norwich, Connor. I'll tell you that now. There you go. Happy that. Well, yeah. you, can, you can say it with certainty now. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> Pad, yeah. thank you very much. I think we've answered the bulk of the questions there that we've uh, we've done quite quite well today actually um we'll, we'll end with denise who says hello from malaysia so thank you denise for, for watching all the way out there we're getting around the globe very quickly indeed uh, pinkin.com of course the place to go for any updates in terms of Norwich city transfer news uh, news and, and rumors lots of stuff on there as well uh, today to get your teeth into as we build up to pre-season of course all kicks off next weekend and next friday rather not next weekend at the walks uh, with that game against kings lynn which is um going to be our, our sort of first sighter of of everybody uh, as and, and how people have come back to pre-season. Always incredibly exciting, the, the first one. And, of course, fans can attend as well. I think there's some... Uh there's some, uh, there's some tickets left, isn't there, if, if people want to come along to the walks and, uh, and watch that. And, of course, if you have tuned in late and you have missed the first half or first part of the show, uh, then they will be available wherever you're watching this now uh, on demand for you to, uh, to, to watch back. Pad, thank you very much. Thank you all very much for watching. And we'll see you again very, very soon. Goodbye. <laughs>